please do turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to look together at this passage, this life-changing encounter that the shepherds had, meeting the newborn Son of God. Reading from verse 8 of Luke chapter 2. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. Let us pray as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, this Christmas Eve, our hearts are filled with joy when we remind ourselves once again of the lengths you're willing to go through to bring salvation to us. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful story, this Wonderful story of, of your grace and kindness and mercy. And we pray, Father, even on this Christmas, Christmas Eve evening, as we prepare ourselves for Christmas Day tomorrow, Lord, just in this moment, Lord, we pray that by your word and your spirit, you would move in our hearts this great truth, this wonderful news, that we'd hear it as if we'd never heard it before, that it'd be fresh to us in a whole new way, that you put that joy in our hearts as we hear this wonderful story told again in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, in the book The Last Battle, the character Lucy Pevensey says, In our world, something was born in a stable that was larger than our entire world. In our world, something was born in a stable that was larger than our entire world. Year after year, I've, I've heard this story so many times, we can get so used to hearing it. And I think it's easy to lose the awe and wonder of this wonderful story. But actually, the Christmas story is not just the celebration of the birth of a baby 2,000 years ago, but the incarnation of the Son of God himself. And in John's Gospel it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the One the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This great gift of God's grace to humanity, this redemption that he offers to us, the Son of God himself, there in the beginning creating all things, 
And then something that was greater than the whole world's in that, in that manger. It's an astonishing thing. And very often people will ask the question understandably, well, why did God have to send his son to earth in the first place? That's a question we're going to look at as well this evening. Why did God have to send his son here in the first place? What an amazing thing that he would do this, but why? And as we focus on the shepherds this evening, I want to look more deeply at their, at their part in this story. Because when we look at this, we'll see that the shepherds, their inclusion in this story is really rather surprising. In fact, the whole story itself is surprising. Firstly, we have Mary and Joseph, just a poor Jewish peasant couple who are betrothed to marry. Mary at that point would probably have been only 13 or 14 years old. And a virgin who had conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. I wonder, can you imagine, as they went off on their way to Bethlehem, and by the way, there's no mention that she was on a donkey, she might have been, we don't know for sure, but can you imagine, when they went to Bethlehem, as they made their way, can you imagine Joseph just reflecting on the fact that this woman he was betrothed to was, was carrying the, the Son of God? How amazing that is. Something as staggering as that. How do you get your head around that? And at the point where Mary was about to give birth, they, they'd come to Joseph's hometown of Bethlehem, a seemingly irrelevant place uh, to register a census on a human level. Bethlehem, a kind of backwater kind of place that you'd kind of think is just rather irrelevant. And yet the providence of God has great biblical significance. The name Bethlehem in the old Hebrew literally means house of bread. Jesus himself would later say, I am the bread of life. Bethlehem is also the town of King David. The prophet Samuel went down to Bethlehem to uh, find King David at that time, a young shepherd boy. And that's where his father Jesse lived to anoint David as the new king of Israel. Everything had aligned on that night. There was nothing random about Bethlehem. God's sovereign plan of salvation was coming together perfectly Including the fact that when Mary and Joseph arrived, there was no room in the inn. There was no guest space available. Mary gives birth in a stable and puts the newborn Messiah in a a manger, in in a cattle feeding trough. Notice how that there's no room for the Son of God to be born in Bethlehem. And yet how often is there no room in people's hearts for the Son of God? Very often there is no room in people's hearts for the Lord Jesus Christ. The Gospel writer John says he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. And sometimes people will say, in fact very often people will say, if I, if I could see God with my own eyes I'd believe in him. If I could meet God in person I'd believe in him. No you wouldn't. Because that's exactly what happened 2,000 years ago. The Son of God turned up, walked this earth and his own people rejected him. So this, this is how the Son of God came into the world, born in a, in a manger, wrapped in strips of old rags. You would not expect a future king to be born in that way. You'd expect him to be born in the comfort and luxury of a palace. And yet the king of kings is born in a manger, in a smelly, dirty old cattle shed. It's not what you'd expect. And as we, we will see, it gets even more surprising. In verses 8 to 9 it says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, 
and they were filled with great fear. The title of my message this evening is A Shepherd's Faith. I'd like to focus on these shepherds and the faith that we see in these shepherds and what happens to them. I'd like to focus on this astonishing encounter where supernatural touches earth and these these lowly shepherds are addressed by the angel of the Lord. And there are three things that we see in this encounter. The first thing we see is the holy fear of the shepherds. The holy fear of the shepherds. Now it's worth pointing out that first century shepherds had a really bad reputation. They were really just hired hands Simple men looking after flocks of sheep that they didn't own themselves. In fact, you might really compare them today with kind of like travelers and gypsies. They were sometimes, in fact, quite often dishonest. They could be quite shady characters. You might say they just did what they had to do to get by. But that often involved stealing from time to time. In fact, these these men would be left unattended for months on end. They could sometimes steal some of the lambs or some of the wool and milk and make a profit for themselves. And for one reason or another, they were boycotted by all the religious people. They wouldn't buy any wool or milk off them. They were were kind of, by association, they were considered very unworthy people. They were shunned and and banned from worshipping in the Jewish temple. That's also very significant, as we're going to see. They weren't allowed to go into the Jewish temple to worship. Their testimony would not be heard in court Really, first century shepherds were seen on the whole as dirty, loathsome lowlifes that no one really wanted anything much to do with. And so when the Son of God comes to earth, you would not expect the Son of God to be announced to shepherds. You would expect him to be announced to the the priests and the rulers, to the scribes and the Pharisees. You'd expect this to be announced in Jerusalem in the temple, not in the fields to the, lows, the lowly, smelly, dirty shepherds of that field. The glory of the Lord shone all around them, and it says they were filled with great fear. Put yourself in the, in the position of these shepherds. The very last thing they would have been expecting happened to them that, that night. No doubt it would have been quiet, nothing going on. They were taking it in turns to sleep and watch over the, the flocks. And all of a sudden, the sky is lit up with angels, and the glory of God shone all around them. And these shepherds found themselves in the presence of Almighty God, and His perfect glory and holiness completely exposing them as the sinners that they really were. And they're terrified. They were filled with great fear. In fact, in the Old Testament, God's glory and holiness is described as being overwhelmingly bright and burning as a fire. And salvation has to start with the right view of God and of ourselves. The Bible says, The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Here we see these shepherds who are greatly fearful, and they had every right to be. You know, deep down, this is the problem. Many people think that they're good people deep down. I suppose if you went out into the street in Sullyhole and you asked someone, you know, are you a good person? Do you think you'll get to heaven? You know, what about you? They might just say, well, I'm, I'm a good enough person. Yeah, I'm not perfect. 
I've done some things I'm not proud of, which is the British euphemism for, you know, part of me dies every time I think about that. But on the whole, I think I'm doing all right. We often compare ourselves to people who are much worse than us. We, we set the bar pretty low. The problem is that when the one who's perfect shows up, we don't have a leg to stand on. How, how often people are kind of comparing themselves to people who are so much worse, who they consider to be so much worse, like a, a sliding scale. All the time we're comparing ourselves to Vladimir Putin, we think we're doing okay. In fact, if, if the last few years have taught us anything, it's how, God help us, how self-righteous as a nation we've, we've become. We're always looking to put the blame on someone else. It's not to say that people aren't to blame and mistakes aren't made. But there's this heart of whose fault is this? Who can I blame? Who can carry the blame for this? But when we find ourselves in the presence of God, we're exposed by his perfect glory and holiness. We see ourselves for who we really are. A good example of this is the prophet Isaiah. When he sees the vision of God, he says, Woe is me. I am lost. I'm ruined. I'm undone. In many ways, he's saying, I'm damned. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty, the glory of God. When the glory of God shone around those shepherds, they saw themselves for who they really were, the sinners in the presence of a holy and perfect God. And their reaction was to be very afraid. And it's very significant that Luke tells us this. He tells us that not only did the angels speak, but the whole of the glory of heaven was revealed and the shepherds were filled with great fear. And this important detail is often missed out and skimmed over. Quite often it will be read out or, or, dis- or talked about in a, in a message. And it can be read as in the angel, angel turns up and the, the shepherds kind of see something out of the ordinary and they're scared. And, and the angel says, don't worry, it's fine, I come in peace. But this detail is really important. It wasn't because it was out of the ordinary. It was because they were in the presence of Almighty God. It wasn't because these, angels found, these, these shepherds found themselves in a strange situation or something out of the ordinary. It's because they recognized that they were in the presence of God. And it's important for us to understand today, like the shepherds, that our posture towards Almighty God has to be one of reverence. That he is holy and perfect and I'm a sinner and a lawbreaker. And it's out of the darkness of this bad news that the good news shines so brightly. So there's the fear of the shepherds. But also let's consider the message that was told to the shepherds. The message that was told to the shepherds. The angel says to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a saviour who is Christ the Lord. Do not be afraid. A saviour has come. And at the heart of the Christian message is an invitation, an offer of forgiveness and peace with God to be in a right relationship with him. And here are these shepherds who weren't even allowed in the Jewish temple to worship God. And God is inviting them to meet his son. What amazing grace and kindness. And this is significant because it was their bad reputation that meant that they were not allowed into the temple to worship God. And yet the same is also true of us. 
Whilst the shepherds were excluded, we can sometimes find ourselves excluding ourselves from coming into a place of worship. I was just thinking as I was reflecting on this of a friend of mine when I was baptised, I was brought up Baptist, so that would explain that one, but I was baptised as an adult around 23, nearly 24, 20 years ago I got baptised. And I'd invited all my friends to come along, my close friends to come and hear my testimony and why I was being baptised. And a good few of my friends came along. But there was one friend, one of my friends who was particularly close to, and, and he wouldn't come along. And he wouldn't come along because he was living an immoral life. And he couldn't bear to be in church. He was excluded himself. He knew he couldn't come to church. He had so much guilt and shame. But there's also times where, perhaps when we come to church, where we may be physically present, but spiritually absent. There's something in us that is making us struggle to enter into the presence of God. It is the separation of sin that separates us from God. The Bible calls this sin and refers to it. And this sin leads to guilt and shame, which separates us from God. And I want to talk for a moment about guilt and shame. Let's talk about the bad news before we get to the good news. Because the Bible often talks about sin and sinners. If sin is the act, then being a sinner is an identity. It's like when we do something wrong, there's the guilt of having done that act itself, but there's also the guilt that goes with it. That thing that's become an identity. So, for example, you tell a lie. You feel the guilt of having told a lie, and yet there's the shame of recognizing I'm a liar. Or maybe you, you steal something, you've, you've stolen something, there's, there's the, the guilt of I've stolen something and that's wrong. But there's also the shame of being a, th- a thief. And so guilt and shame haunt us throughout our lives. But there's a really powerful moment in Charles Dickens' novel, A Christmas Carol. I'm sure you'll know it, we've seen a film of it or read the book. And in the story of Chris, A Christmas Carol, there's a moment where Scrooge is visited by the ghost of Christmas present. And, and he notices that there are two malnourished uh, orphans grasping at the ghost's ankles. And he asks the ghost if, if there's anyone to look after the children. He's obviously very concerned about these, these poor young malnourished orphans. And the ghost responds to Scrooge by reminding him of his own words. Are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? And in that moment, Scrooge is condemned by his own words. As those two orphans glare at him, he knows he's the source of their affliction. He is the problem. And you know, in many ways, guilt and shame are like those two orphans. They glare at us. They cling to us. They condemn us. And so our sin that separates us from God, even though we need him so desperately, we're cut off from him. But the good news is that through Jesus Christ, God has made a way of salvation. In verse 11, we see the good news. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let me read that again. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. When I was a theological student, I... I had the, the privilege of helping out in the, in the prison chaplaincy as part of my community placement. And I went into the prison as often as I could because I, God was doing something wonderful in that prison. I was seeing a revival at that time, or the closest thing to a revival I've ever seen. 
And I remember this, this one particular Bible study. We used to have Bible studies midweek. And you'd prepare for a Bible study. And to be honest, you might as well not have prepared because it was just going to go in all kinds of different directions. And you never know what the prisoners were going to say. And this one prisoner was sat next to me and he said, you know, I feel really bad about that armed robbery. I feel so guilty about that now. And I'll be honest, I, no one's ever said that to me in a Bible study before. I was slightly taken aback, to be honest. And when I finally sort of regained my composure, I, I said to the prisoner, well, you know, God can forgive you for that. Christ came and died on the cross to forgive you for that. And you can be completely forgiven. And he said, what, for that armed robbery? And I said, yes, of course. And I said, do you want to pray with me afterwards? And he said, yeah, I want to pray and I want, I want, to, I want to make that right with God. So at the end of, end of the Bible study, I sat down with this prisoner and we sat to pray together. And he confessed what he'd done before God and, and he made a confession of faith. And what was interesting is as he walked off, his, his cellmate said to him, how do you feel? And I'll never forget what that prisoner said. He said, I feel like I've been washed clean. I feel like I've been washed clean. Because that's what the blood of Christ does. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. It washes all that guilt and shame away and presents us holy and blameless before God. And in that moment, an exchange had taken place. The Lord Jesus Christ on the cross had become the armed robber and the armed robber had become the righteousness of God. That is the wonderful news about the gospel. God removes the guilt of our sin by punishing his son on the cross instead of us. And he removes our shame by clothing us with the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. So when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God says to us, you are no longer a sinner. You are a child of God. Our identity is no longer being in bondage to the shame of our sin, but instead we are clothed with the perfect righteousness of God. And so going back to the story of the shepherds, the angels sang glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. And being a, a person of God's favour means being one of God's chosen people, which means salvation only belongs to those who, who respond to God's grace. Not everyone will get to heaven. Only those who respond to that invitation to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And thirdly and lastly, let's look at how the shepherds respond. Having initially been filled with great fear. And then hearing this wonderful message. These tidings of good news. This invitation, come and see. We see that they respond to it. And there are three things we see in their response. Firstly, that the, the shepherds responded in obedience. Verse 15 says, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. Notice that the shepherds took God at his word. They didn't doubt him. There was no cynicism or, or reluctance to go to Bethlehem. And yet, tragically, how many people hear that invitation, come to Christ, and they refuse to come? They hear the street evangelist imploring them, repent and believe the gospel, and they walk past quickly. They come to church, they hear the gospel, but they refuse. They go to a Christianity course, or a friend or neighbor shares the gospel with them, and say, taste and see that the Lord is good, come and see for yourself. And they won't be, they won't come to God. To be a Christian is someone who's heard the call, come to Christ, and responded in obedience to that call. 
The shepherds, they took God at his word. They went off to see the newborn saviour. And secondly, notice how they responded immediately. It says, they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. I love how the shepherds didn't hang around. They didn't say, well, well, let's go in a few days' time. Or, need to have a think about it. Got some things to do. They went immediately. Yet, how many lives are spent putting off this great invitation? I need to think more about it. I know that I should follow Christ, but I'm too busy. I don't feel religious enough. Or the other one, which is so tragic. I need to clean my life up a bit. I need to be more clean living. I need to do better. No, no, no. You come to Christ with all your mess, with all your, with all your sin, and receive the forgiveness that is offered to you. It's so tragic that people actually find the reason I can't come to Christ is I'm not good enough yet. I need to clean myself up. I need to do better. No, that's why he came. That's the good news. The great tragedy that whilst you're trying to be more moral, your life could be snatched away in a moment. In any moment, our life could be taken from us. And that opportunity, that, that moment of salvation is gone. That's why when God invites us to come to his son, we should respond straight away. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The shepherds went immediately. They did not hesitate or take their time. They went immediately, they responded. I'm sure that many, if not all of us, are Christians this evening. But may I at least ask, have you responded to Christ's offer of salvation? Have you responded to him? And lastly, and I love this, that the shepherds praised God. They were not disappointed when they saw that child. They didn't go, I can't believe we've come all this way just to see this. No, they spread the good news. They went everywhere and they returned glorifying and praising God all the way home. When you come to Christ, you will not be disappointed. In fact, when you come to Christ, you'll find everything that you ever longed for your whole entire life. And that joy will overflow into praise and worship. Verse 20, it tells us that the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. As it had been told to them. That the shepherds praised God because everything that they had seen was just as they had been told. That God's promises can be relied on. If God says that's how it is, that's how it is. The world makes all kinds of empty promises. These promises to satisfy us only only for us to find mirage after mirage. As I've said, I've followed the Lord Jesus now for 20 years. It's not been easy. It's been painful and difficult, but I could not live without my beloved Saviour. I can tell you, I can say this evening that God's promises can be relied on fully. You can bank fully on the promises of God. That he can be relied upon. That only his son Jesus Christ can satisfy the deepest longing of our hearts. And God calls us and invites us to follow him. Let me close with a quote from Bishop J.C. Ryle. An Anglican, this is when the Anglican bishops really were bishops. And J.C. Ryle, in describing the shepherd's faith, he says, May our spirit be like theirs. May we ever believe implicitly, act promptly, and wait for nothing. When the path of duty is clear, so doing we shall have a reward like the shepherds, the journey that is begun in faith, 
will generally end in praise. The journey that is begun in faith will generally end in praise. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you this evening for what Christmas means. Father, we do thank you, Lord, that you've given everything for us, that we could be in that relationship with you. Father, we pray we'd never lose the wonder of it, the beauty of it, your grace and your mercy. And Father, this evening I pray, Lord, that by your word and your Holy Spirit, that you would put on our hearts this wonderful gospel afresh, that we'd be so moved by what you've done for us. Thank you, Lord, that, that you are everything that we need and that all we could ever long for can be found in your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you sent him to this earth. Thank you, Lord, that, that you made a way of salvation for us when we were so lost, when we were weak at the right time. You, you sent your son to die for the ungodly. And so we do worship you this evening. We do thank you, Lord, that you are so good, that you're so kind, that you're so gracious to us. And we praise you and worship you this evening in Jesus' name. Amen.